There were times when I couldn't stand the pain anymore, or I would sometimes say, you know, Lord, just encourage me today. And then I'd get a note from somebody, an email, we're praying for you, and, and that type of thing just was wonderful encouragement, not only to me, but to the family. His story is amazing. Jeff Jacobson was diagnosed with a rare disease that claimed his liver, but a transplant has saved his life, and he'll tell us about it today here on First Person. Welcome, everyone. I'm Wayne Shepherd. You'll meet my friend Jeff in just a moment, but first, please take some time today to visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. You'll see more of Jeff's story there, and you can see what's ahead on the upcoming schedule of guests. That's at firstpersoninterview.com. And then on Facebook, you can leave comments about what you hear today. Just go to Facebook.com slash First Person Interview. That's Facebook.com slash First Person Interview. Well, I've known today's guest for many years, and Jeff is well-known in Christian radio circles from his ministry career at Moody Radio, In Touch Ministries, Focus on the Family, and other places, including his present position at Strong Tower Media in Ohio. In 2013, Jeff's health took a turn for the worse, and it was discovered that he suffered from a rare genetic disorder that destroyed his liver. In 2014, he received a transplanted liver and now is recovering. We met in the studios of our affiliate WFCJ in Ohio and talked about his ordeal. Well, Wayne, we had gotten back from a trip to Canada where some family were, and um, the uh, people at work here said, I look really pale. And um, just and then we had a work day scheduled for our new studio complex, and I I said I just don't have it in me, hmm. and so my wife Ann said, why don't you go see your doctor because there's something up, and so I went there and he immediately sent me over to the emergency room. What did he see? He saw um, blood. Ah. And uh, that was not a great sign. Not a good thing. Nope. And so uh, they admitted me to the hospital immediately, and um, I was bleeding in the uh, varices of my uh, the larynx, that whole area down there. And so they got that stopped. But I'll tell you, Wayne, um, the next I was in the hospital this first time when they diagnosed my condition about five days, and uh, this is where they discovered that I had cirrhosis of the liver caused by a rare genetic condition. Most of the time when we hear cirrhosis of the liver, we equate that with too much alcohol. Yeah. And that, that doesn't, had, doesn't apply to you, no, does I, it? <laughs> I, had to, I had to quickly squash that rumor yeah, right, that you yeah. know, Jacobson looked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, it was, it was some chromosomes my parents gave me, and it's called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. But you had no idea you were carrying, you were the carrier of that. No idea. Or your and parents were the carriers of that who gave it to you. Exactly. They never had any symptoms. And so they, uh, and they're deceased now, so I can't even ask them or slap them or anything like that. <laughs> I was like, why'd you give this to me? Right. But uh, yeah, no idea. I had both Z chromosomes or whatever you want to call it in the genetic language. And this is what caused this. And it had been happening over time, but I had no outward symptoms. Right. You know, and so it was just bizarre. What about siblings? Did anybody else have this? I have a sister who lives in uh, New Zealand and she's been tested and she doesn't have it either. I mean, she has a ZM, so she did not get the ZZ. Okay. And so, um, and then uh, um, I happened to, you know, spin the wheel and I won it. So, uh, so it's just such a random thing, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's, it's amazing. Once you start delving into it, number one is a lot of the doctors in the medical community 
Um, they're aware of it, but they don't think about it when it usually manifests itself in lung problems like COPD. Because mm-hmm. this little protein that I understand in the liver gets folded and it never leaves the liver. Mm-hmm. And so it, then the liver starts reacting. And then over time, it tries to regenerate itself and it doesn't. And it's just a mess. And so this, uh, this p- protein that controls a lot of our lung functions um, is usually the way it's manifested first, but not in me. Okay. Lungs were clear. So this was discovered when? Um, November of 2013. And you lived with this for a long, long time, time. And, and it had to be, it had to make you very, very sick, Jeff. Yeah, it, it really did. And especially after the diagnosis is when, um, the, the really a, a concentrated effort, um, began because the only cure for me would be a transplant. So they put you on the list? I qualified. I had to qualify first. And it was uh, the University of Cincinnati. Well, how do you qualify? I mean, you, you've got a non-functioning liver. Is it that qualification enough? Well, they want to look at other parts of your body because they want to make sure that your heart and lungs and kidneys are ready for a transplant. I see. Okay. And because uh, if you've got other issues, then they don't, uh, and I say this carefully, they don't want to waste their time because yeah. then it you know, could just be fatal. But uh, yeah, I qualified. I passed all the lung tests and they, um, they, cha- they even did a test, Wayne, where it was, uh, they varied the speed of my heart mm. and um that was really weird i was gonna say that sounds like fun yeah a little bit frankensteinish <laughs> but uh overall and then i got put on the list for transplant uh, january 2014 january 2014 when did the transplant occur november of 2014 that's a long time to wait it is and those were months and months of just i could, I could see the body was starting to shut down um, it was consuming itself because it wasn't getting any kind of nutrition. I mean, I'd eat. And I didn't want to eat much, but uh, then... Uh, you were just wasting away. I was you? wasting away. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, the first few months, January, February, March, were okay. But uh, then it started to progress, and then my gallbladder had to be taken out, and then they're... Then, I, you know, I'm building up this fluid continually. Um, they did a, pr- a procedure where they tried to bypass a few things to let some of this pressure go, but mm-hmm. that didn't work. And, um, and, and overall, it was, it's called portal hypertension, and that's what was causing the bleeding in the esophagus and the, down that way. You mentioned the gallbladder, and I mean, I'm, I don't know much about this, but for most of us, a gallbladder operation removal is pretty routine these days. I'll bet it was anything but routine Oh, for yeah. You. They had to have some specialists do that, too, because they, you know, they were battling with this fluid buildup, and then um, you know, all the other issues, and then the meds they're on, you're on, too, because they put you on a, a lot of medicines because okay. to control a lot of this. Well, what's going on in your heart during this in-between time, Jeff? Well, it's it's survival and the the humbling, you know, the prognosis. You're battling with that. Um, I've got two little boys, and you're saying, Lord, I want to be around for, for them to grow up. I've got three older children that are in their 20s, and they're scared to death because they lost their mother to brain cancer. first wife, Ruth Ann, died of cancer. And so what's going through their minds? uh, Are we going to lose dad too? Exactly. And so all those things on top of just the physical aspects. And uh, it was really hard. I mean, it was really hard. Yeah. I I, I just can't imagine that. So, But the Lord met you during that time. Mm -hmm. Your family has remained strong. Oh, yes. And uh, I mean, the little ones at home, I mean, one was old enough to kind of know what was going on, right? Is it it Michael? Uh, Michael's our youngest one. Okay. He's two and a half. All right, and the oldest, older one Thomas. is Thomas. Thomas, that's yeah. it. All right, and, and was he praying for dad? What was the deal? He was praying for dad every day at dinner time or before he went to bed that God give daddy a new liver. 
And uh, then I'll tell you the story that after the, I got the transplant, um, he started praying for the, the family that lost somebody oh. because of the, uh, the yeah. liver donation. Yeah, the donor. So, sure. So he's, he was really aware of what was going on in a five-year-old's mind. Yeah. Um, life, we tried to keep life as, as normal as possible. Of course you do. Um, you know, I lost a lot of the ability to even keep up with these two little munchkins. <laughs> But um, my wife Ann, she you know she she did a yeoman's job. I mean, I'll tell you, without her, I don't know where I would have ended up because of just even little things like keeping my pills straight. Yeah. You know, when you're taking so many drugs, yeah. um, even post transplant. Now uh, right. she's well, you've got a wonderful thing. wife, and mm-hmm. we all love Ann. Um, so the day came when you got a phone call. Yes, it was a Wednesday. I'll never forget it. It's sort of a it's it's uh, Wednesday, November. It was the 12th, 8 p.m., University of Cincinnati transplant department calls and said, can you just stay by your phone for about 20 minutes? And you're home alone. I'm home alone because my kids are at Awana with my wife. So I'm home alone. I'm trying to do a little bit of housekeeping, you know, putting the dishes in the dishwasher, something I could, sort of lame I could do. I mean, it was sort of, <laughs> but um, then it's like, well, they're not home yet. And I wonder what's going on here. Yeah. So it, t- did you have to wait the whole 20 minutes? Yeah, I did. And it got into 30. Oh my goodness. Oh. And, um, but then at, at about 35 minutes later, they called back and said, can you get down here? We have a donor. Okay. And so... Uh, so they were just uh, prepping the, the donor to uh, see if it was going to be a match? Was exactly. The they go through all that type of thing and uh, make sure the match and... Uh, but the, the, I believe the liver hadn't been removed yet from the person. Okay. They were there. And so... Uh, but I... So I'm waiting for my wife to come back from Juana, which is about that time. But I'm ready to drive down there myself, which I did. And I think I cried all the way. I mean, because here, here is, here, you know, and you never know once you're even open on the table if it's going to work. I mean, but here I'm like, Lord, I mean, it's so soon, but you know the timing. And so, you know, I just kept driving and I got there. And then my wife arranged for childcare. To, to, for our little boys, and then she got down there with my older son Christian. And, I'm guessing uh, Ann was crying, driving herself uh, to yeah, the hospital. I think so. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I believe so. Yes, and uh, so once I got down there, then it's uh, just a process of you know they get you into a room and start. They don't start prepping you immediately, but uh, the whole process is is pretty involved, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, that, that that was the beginning of my rebirth. Yeah, how long did the surgery take? For me, it was about nine hours, and uh, they uh, they started at two a.m. and they had just finished another liver transplant. Oh. Oh. I mean, I can't imagine. I have enough trouble cutting the grass. I mean, here's <laughs> these these surgeons and, and and nurses and anesthesiologists, and they're all you know going to do another one. Well, I love your sense of humor about this, Jeff, but it had to be anything but funny at the time. Uh, yeah, you're right. Though <laughs> though I was able to you know joke a little bit, but because uh, probably you, I, was nervous. Knowing you, I bet you did. <laughs> it was nerves. <laughs> Because it's scary. I mean, yeah. you figure you're going to be put under for t- nine hours. Yeah, it uh, it's it's and at that point, um, but then at that point, Wayne, I was ready for something because the, the just the life before was just so miserable. We'll learn more about the liver transplant that has saved Jeff Jacobson's life. It's coming up in the second half of First Person. Please take the time this week to visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. When you do, you'll learn about the ministry of the Far East Broadcasting Company. 
FEBC has been around since 1945, but its ministry today is reaching millions every day with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In recent years, I've traveled to a few of the places where FEBC broadcasts are changing the lives, and I've seen firsthand the results for which we praise God. To learn more about FEBC, visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest on First Person today is Jeff Jacobson. Jeff and I have known each other for many years. Uh, Jeff and I worked together at Moody Radio in Chicago for many years, and Jeff has had many positions in radio, including In Touch with Charles Stanley, managing radio station in Port Huron, Michigan. I'm probably forgetting something even, Jeff. Oh, Focus on the family. Focus, yeah. Uh, where you worked for, for a while, and uh, now you find yourself in uh, kind of my home stomping grounds because I went to college close by where you work and live now, working for uh, Strong Tower Christian Media in Ohio. Exactly. Uh, WFCJ, WEEC. Jeff, it's so good to see you. I know that you're on the road to recovery from this liver transplant, and it's not 100% yet, but your friends around the country are just rejoicing. I hope you understand that. I mean, I, we, we had a picture together on Facebook, and what did we get? Like over 100 people just told Jeff how great you looked. And Well, it's better to look good than feel good. Than, no, <laughs> um, but, I, know, I know you still feel weak in many ways. Yeah, I, it, you know, it's encouraging to hear that because I heard it from somebody this morning I had breakfast with that I hadn't seen for since last October. And, uh, and, and then I look at pictures of uh, my youngest daughter, Catherine, got married in Pennsylvania in September. And the wedding pictures came back, and I was so privileged to be there and be able to be there. But uh, you know, it just—I looked grayish, and other people described things, and and so that's encouraging to hear from people yeah. that uh, I look better. But uh, the, well, the as, feeling, I, as I said when we started this conversation, it's a miracle. It is that you're sitting here. Do you know how many liver transplants like this are done in the U.S. every year? Well, uh, I know it's in the thousands. Um, University of Cincinnati, for instance, in 2014, I think they totaled close to. 80 liver transplants. Okay. But there's the, the problem is, Wayne, there's so many people on the list that never get one. Mm. And um, so I've become a real advocate for organ yeah. donations. I, I want to talk about that because yeah. I was guessing that was the fact. Yeah. And uh, what? how does that manifest itself? I mean, what are you able to do? Well, um, of anything, you can um, let people know, first of all, in, in, in small ways. And then the bigger picture would be to, uh, you know, whether it's uh, writing Ohio State Legislature, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, Ohio's been become very proactive on organ donations, but okay. uh, uh, it's still people. It's debunking the myths that if you become an organ if you become an organ donor, you're going to be left to the side of the road, and they want because they want to harvest mm-hmm. you, and that's not the case. It's not the case. But at least if if you if you say yes, and it may never even materialize. Um, it, it just gives hope to the people that are waiting for, for yeah, organs, kidneys, hearts, you know, all sorts of in things. In Illinois, where I live, I believe you have to sign the back of your driver's license. You have to declare mm-hmm. that it's okay for organs to be harvested. But you're, you're an advocate now. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, you're yeah. the recipient and an advocate. Yes. And, uh, I, wish- I have to ask you, do you know anything about the donor? Um, ten years younger than I am. And what we're going to do is probably in another month or two, there's a uh, central uh, called clearinghouse, but they, you write them a letter and they see if the uh, donor family wants to read it or, or start communication. Okay. Um, so we're going to do that um, because, you know, they went through a tragic loss. Yeah. And, um, you can't the, minimize that. No, you can't. Or you, you really can't because it was right before Christmas, oh. you know, November-ish. 
And uh, so, you know, there, there was that, that emptiness in their hearts. So we'll do that, you know, another month or two. Yeah. And then, um, and I know that coming up to in Cincinnati, there's a recognition of transplant donors and recipients. It's a, it's a public event that happens in the courtyard of the hospital once a year. So, um, you know, we're going to attend that. But, uh, but yeah, big advocate. Okay, so you have the new liver. I mean, we take it, it's so matter of fact to state that, but it, I can't imagine the everything you went through. I mean, we're laughing about it, but Jeff, it, you lived through this and have suffered through this. How It was in November of 2014. Right. And here we are in 2015 now, and how are you doing? Yeah. I mean, you're not 100%. No, no, I'm not. And uh, four months out, I've, I've been blessed with, number one, the uh, fact that there hasn't been any signs of rejection or infection, even though it was cold season. Um, but I took practical steps to minimize my uh, exposure to um, people mm-hmm. at church. Mm-hmm. just didn't go. I mean, our pastor even said, uh, don't go, because don't come, because we've got... <laughs> Tons of sick dangerous. people here, yeah. yeah. And all it would take is because of suppressed immune system, uh, a cold or a flu would be a real problem. Well, tell me how they monitored you because it had a pretty unique uh, did. technology attached to it, didn't it? Yeah, I was part of an experimental group at the University of Cincinnati where they gave me a tablet to take home. And the tablet had... Uh, Talking about a computer, a tablet a computer. computer. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, I, I, I do take a lot of tablets in the morning. And anything, you don't want to swallow this no, one. No, 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 you don't want to swallow this one. But yeah, it's a computer tablet, and uh, it was programmed to record your vitals and also ask how you're doing. It had a camera, so if they wanted to uh, follow up, they could do a you know this type of one, a two-way communication. Um, it, it, it included a weight, a weight scale... Uh, blood pressure monitor, everything attached to the tablet. So they had eyes on you all the time. They did. They did. And it was a lot easier than having to write something down and fax it or email it. And they were looking for signs of rejection? Exactly. And, and um, you know, blood work would be done every week just to see, you know, your levels of certain things. And what then, was it like to live with that? It was, it was interesting. Uh, it took a little while to get used to because it would remind you when it needed to have data entered in. But after a while, it sort of became, became second nature. There were a couple of times where I put in there, I answered the question about pain, that it was severe or, you know, up, up the scale. And 20 minutes later, the phone rang and mm-hmm. it was one of the nurses. Well, that's kind of reassuring, though, it, isn't it? It is, and I mean, uh, this is life and death stuff. It is, um, especially post transplant. Yeah. That's the that's the key. So, um, the experiment ended about a month ago. I had to take back my tablet, sort of a friend <laughs> by then, and uh, but they they're uh, working with uh, some other organizations to refine it. And um, but I think it was a great idea. Yeah. I mean, it was just otherwise you would have been in the hospital. Yes, I yeah. have to think. Yeah, because they had to monitor you very carefully right, each right. and every day. Right, and. And uh, this this ends that, and also uh, does provide the way for two way communication. Or if doctor one of the doctors wants to do a video conference with yeah. you, then you know he can do that. Jeff, we have a few minutes left. And I just got to ask you. I mean, you love the Lord, and uh, you've been walking with the Lord a long time. This was a this came on the. I mean, many years ago, your wife Ruth Ann died of cancer, and now this strikes you. I mean. Again, what what have you learned about the Lord's uh, strength through all this time? I have learned that, uh, number one, He does love us with an 
an everlasting love, not to, not to make that, uh, minimize that at all. Number two is that he can take anything because there were times when I wanted to give up. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't stand the pain anymore or why is this happening? I didn't ask for it. And, and he can take all that. He can handle all that. And, uh, at the same time, he would, I would sometimes say, you know, Lord, just encourage me today. And then I'd get a note from somebody, an email, uh, you know, we're praying for you. And, and that type of thing just was, Wonderful encouragement, not only to me but to the family. Yeah, that uh, you know, there is a lot of prayer support out there. Yeah, I want to ask you about the family because they're, I mean, they're going through it with you. Exactly, they're not experiencing the physical pain, but they have to live with it just the same. And especially when I got home and we had a medical bed in the family room, um, they're being reminded every day. But uh, at the same time, you know, with the two little guys. They're realizing too that Daddy's going to be around, yeah, and that. Uh, but it's going to take a little time for you know my body to catch up with my mind. What would Anne say is the greatest thing that people did for her? Uh, while her husband was going through all this. Well, I know that, uh, you know, not only the meals brought and things like that, but just the, the ability to, to have somebody watch the boys and let her get away, even if it's over to a coffee house, just to, to decompress. And uh, because it's, it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, you're keeping the house going, you're, you're feeding the kids. But uh, when family came down and, uh, you know, were, they were here for about two weeks. Uh, letting her just get away and decompress would probably be the biggest thing. Sure. Because uh, you just need that as a caregiver. Yeah. You didn't always need people to you know read scripture verses to you, and but it, to have prayers on your behalf, right. I'm sure, meant a lot too. Right. But uh, just be sensitive to those needs. Exactly. And, that and, time. and I have such a great – you know, I was a caregiver with my, my wife, Ruth Ann. Now I was on the other side. And, and, uh, you know, she'd call me stubborn sometimes and all that and, uh, <laughs> let, you know, but, but at the same time I needed her and even to get socks on, I mean, yeah. cause you can't bend over much because you feel like you're just going to continue to bend over and right, fall. But, right. uh, um, but with that and, and the fact that I had physical therapy at the house, things like that, that built, built up my confidence that, uh, this is going to work out, but you've got to give it time. It's one of the major operations that, that the medical community does, and uh, you've just got to give it time. God is good. He sure is. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be sitting time. here with you today. <laughs> it, it would, uh, especially, you know, with the condition that it was. And, uh, and, and, you know, my heart goes out to those that are waiting and that uh, are, are ba- you know, you face a mental battle. And then the ones that have received transplants where, you know, it's just a slow progress, but it, it's worth it. And you, you, we will come out of it, and we will be pretty well back to normal with mm-hmm. maybe a few adjustments. Jeff has had a long road to recovery from his transplant operation and still has a ways to go. But his story of how God has used medical technology and medical professionals to care for him is inspiring. We're thankful to God for Jeff's story. As you can imagine, Jeff now encourages all of us to consider organ donation. It saved his life. Jeff is part of the staff of Strong Tower Media in Ohio, where we are heard on WFCJ. We'll place additional information about this on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll also be able to go back and listen again to today's program or send the link to a friend when you look us up online at firstpersoninterview.com. The audio archive of today's conversation and all others we've shared in the past are at firstpersoninterview.com. And if you use apps on your smartphone or tablet, you can read the latest about our First Person app at firstpersoninterview.com. In the meantime, you can download any of our programs from iTunes where you can subscribe to the podcast free of charge. 
Comments about this program can be posted on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. There are quite often additional postings on our Facebook page, which I believe you'll find informative. So look us up at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, next week, our guest will be Dr. Erwin Lutzer of Chicago's Moody Church. He has a new autobiography titled, He Will Be the Preacher. We'll talk with Dr. Lutzer about his life calling to the ministry. Don't miss it. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, hoping you'll join us next time for First Person. First Person.